0: your biggest fan. I am your biggest fan. It's great to be back. I was just sitting next between my wife and Jeff's wife, and when he was talking about soccer, Amanda said she's coaching the team, but her youngest said, Mom, you don't know anything about soccer. You're going to make us lose every game, <laughs> but it's great that you're, you're doing that. I'm so happy to be back. About a year ago, I was asked to if I could be a constant presence here at Mariner's Mission Viejo until he found a new lead pastor, of which I said yes, and I was here about once a month, and then obviously when Jeff got here, I went, oh, this is great. This is now my, my home. But I haven't been here in a couple months, be, being away for the summer, and I'm so, so thrilled to be back. It's nice to see many faces that I know, many that I don't. Um, I'm a little disappointed that Jeff hasn't got rid of the wall yet. Uh, that, that still bothers me a little bit because I just am never, I always feel bad for you guys right in here. Just like, hey, and hi. I can't feel, the first time I spoke here, I think, I don't think I moved at all. And then they reminded me, oh, we have cameras. Um, but here's what I told Jeff. I want one of you geeky type computer Programmer types, I want a website called What's the Deal with the dot okay? Because I just think for new people that come in that are freaked out about that. I was at McDonald's in Ladera Ranch talking. To, I said, "Oh yeah, I'm speaking there." This is that the church with the wall. So, I mean, that's what you know. So. One of you that can program a website, What's the Deal with the Wall, we tell the story about the wall, which is great, photos with the wall, our favorite experiences with the wall. We identify some of you that make your names next to it. Uh, I just think it'd be cool. Some of you that do that, like, oh, Doug, I could do that over breakfast. You know, you're that person, okay? You know, I'll make that. I want you to wall.com? all right? That's what, what I like. If you grab your outlines, you can see we are starting this new series Jeff mentioned called Neighbor Good. Neighbor good, we're going to talk about what does it mean to love your neighbor. Now, at the top of your notes, I put several places throughout the scriptures that it says that we are to love our neighbor. Now, I am not assuming with a crowd this size that everybody here knows what the Bible says. There are many of you here that you would say, Doug, I have invested my life. I have redirected the course of my life to follow in the ways of Jesus, and I know that I'm supposed to love my neighbor. There are several of you that are here, maybe for the first time you're checking out church, you're investigating, you're dating someone who said, if we're going to date, you go to church. Whatever it is, uh, you want to start the new school, you're right, you're coming to church, and maybe you're kind of like, I'm not exactly sure about Jesus or what it says. Well, I just want to make it real clear. The Bible says several places love your neighbor. As a matter of fact, Jesus was, was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love God. And then love your neighbors as yourself. So this is a big, big deal for us to spend some time talking about loving our neighbors. Now, I need you to give me a little bit of feedback just for for my own curiosity. When you hear love your neighbors, you have one of two responses. Some of you would go, yeah, I can do that naturally. That's that's easy for me. And for others of you, you go, that's going to be a little more complicated for me. I just want to know where you are. So for those of you that say, oh, Doug, that comes naturally. That's easy for me. Let me see your hands. Okay. A little more complicated? Okay. We, I, I think more complicated wins a little bit. Um, Kathy and I have been married almost 30 years. We've lived in four different neighborhoods. We're about 50-50 on neighbors. The neighbors that we have actually lived now, the first place we lived in Irvine, Jeff, that's how I got to know Jeff, Jeff lived a few houses down. He was in ninth grade when I got to, to meet him. And he would come over to my house and knock on the door, can Doug play? And, uh, you know, my wife explained, well, Doug's at work. And Jeff, do you understand that he's in his 30s? So, it, you know, it's was, it was a little weird. But Jeff was a, a great neighbor we quickly moved from. And then we moved out here. We moved out here in this area, and the current house that we lived in, um, the first week we were there, the next-door neighbor, the woman came out and said to me, um, yeah, my husband is kind of a private person, and he really doesn't like people parking in front of our house. That's, that was the greeting for our next-door neighbor, and I, th- I said, well, that must be tough. To be such a private person in a public neighborhood. And I know it sounds snarky. I wasn't trying to be, I was trying to be jovial and fun, like, oh, there's not a chance in the world we won't park in front of your house. No, do you know how much we just paid for that house? Yes, we're using every spot we can. We have people at our house a lot. We're Raging parties. Okay, not, you know, I'm a pastor, so it's like, Two pinatas instead of one. And so, but this guy just did not like And so there was this tension because we have people over all the time. And we have friends, um, they have a, a child who has a handicap and they have a van with handicap access. And they parked in front of our next door neighbor's house so they could get the wheelchair out and then came into our house. And this guy said something kind of demeaning to them. And when I heard about it, whew, you've seen the Hulk. Yeah, it didn't look like me. But I got, I got that anger, and I just got that anger. When I heard about it, man, I went marching over there. I'm a pretty mellow guy, but I was so mad and so angry, and I've never been in a fight in my life. Never been Fifth grade, I almost was, but I went to fight like this, and they started making fun of me because I put my thumbs inside to make a fist, and everybody laughed at me, and then I just decided I better not because that's apparently not how you fight. You're supposed to do that, so I walked away, and I didn't fight, but I almost in fifth grade, and this time, man, I had my thumbs out, okay? I was, I was, I was re- not ready to fight, but I thought if I had to, i have watched enough UFC that I could. One punch to the neck, a kick to the head, we're talking lights out. Uh, but instead, we had a very, very nice, pleasant conversation. I actually I told Kathy I'm going to go love him with the love of Jesus, and we tried to kill our next-door neighbor with kindness, and, uh, and they moved, which was awesome. Uh, so... <laughs> We're talking in this love your neighbor. Jeff is going to do the majority of the teaching, as you can understand why. I've got a lot to work on. But I want to talk about a different type of neighbor. As a matter of fact, I want to talk about a neighbor that's closer than your next door neighbor. Okay, This is a neighbor, but they're actually closer to you than your next door neighbor. They, they're the neighbors that live in your house. They're the ones that share refrigerator rights with you. These neighbors are your, your family. Now... Uh, by show of hands, how many of you would say, Doug, I live totally alone. Let me see your hands. Okay, a couple free pass this weekend. Okay, you're off. You get off, okay? Get on your phone, Instagram, Facebook, whatever you want, <laughs> okay? Somebody by the door last service says, I took notes anyway, and it was helpful because he plans to actually live with somebody someday. So now, uh, if you're married, raise your hand. Your neighbor is your spouse, Okay? If you have children, raise your hand. Your neighbor is your children. If you are a child living in a family, raise your hand. Your neighbor is mom or dad, mom and dad, and the dreaded brother and sister, all right? That is your neighbor. Does Jesus really want me to love them? I mean, when he says love your neighbor, is he really talking about my own family? Well... For me, this idea of loving my family, it is getting increasingly easier for for me. And I want to teach you from how I've kind of got... I mean, it's getting easy because um, they're all moving out, okay? (laughs) So it's just, it's so much easier when they're out of the house. And last week at this time, Kathy and I were dropping off our baby down in San Diego at Point Loma, and I brought a, a picture to let you know that we are now officially empty nesters. My daughter's in the middle, for some of you that might be confused. My wife is, a lot of times people confuse her with a college student. Uh, but that was, that was so if you see me by the door, my eyes look red, it's not because I was crying all week. It's like I swam a lot underwater with my eyes open. Uh, but if I don't make it through this message, and all of a sudden I just go in the corner and start convulsing, It looks like I'm having a seizure, it's because uh, this is really rough. It's a transition. Life is changing. As a matter of fact, I feel a a deeper sense of urgency for this message than maybe I wouldn't have ever before. Because I know that this is a young church and a lot of you are actually just getting started. And that picture seems so far off. I understand. It was for me too. And then I blinked. And Kathy and I are empty nesters. There is a sense of urgency to loving your neighbor with, within your family. I'd actually argue this. The most difficult place to love your neighbor is in your family. Now, you don't have to agree with that. Okay? Those of you who are wise and mature and really smart, you know I'm right. Uh, because it, it, it's easier to love others outside of my family. Today, it is easy to love you. Honestly, I've been working all week thinking about this. I've been thinking about conversations by the door. I've been thinking about seeing some people that I know take Jesus serious. I know I'm going to be introduced to people who are coming to church for the first time. I have prepared myself to love you with my life, with my words, with any amount of wisdom that I have. I've been prepared for that. Well, there will come a point where I want to stop loving you, and then I want to go home. And when I go home, you know what I want to love? my couch, my remote, and football season. And Jeff actually got my remote where I can push a button and fast forwards 30 seconds. So when those of you that like football, when the play is done, you push it, they're back to the line of scrimmage. It's awesome, okay? You can watch a whole game in like nine minutes. That's what I want to do. I just want to cuddle at home. It's easy to love people outside of my home. I've been doing it a long time. 10 years on staff at Mariners in Irvine, almost 20 years at Saddleback. Finally, I took three churches. I finally, finally found God's church here. And, uh, you know... But I've been a public person, and when you're a public person, you're always on, meaning that shopping, restaurants, anywhere, Little League Field, people are coming up to you. Oh, pastor, I have a question. Oh, pastor, will you pray for him. Pastor, what does the Bible say about cancer? Pastor, would you, would you help my ma- marriage, pa- pastor? Uh, when my dog dies, will it go to heaven? Which is very difficult to answer. Okay? If I like you, the answer is yes. Okay? Uh, but now, don't get me wrong. I love that. I love that interaction. And I'm telling you, Mission Viejo, if you see me anywhere, introduce yourself. I really I want to know you. I want to I hear your story. I love that. You just need to tell me that you, you go to Mission Viejo because I just can't keep track of where people are anymore. I don't know where I've met. Just say, I go to the real Mariners. And then I'll know what you mean, okay? Not the little, the little tiny one. Uh, and you go to the mothership, okay? The one where life happens, the one with the fifth wall. Is, it, it, you know, let me know. But at some point, here's what I want to do. I want to stop loving other people. I want to stop meeting other people's needs. And I want to go home. And when I go home, here's what happens to me, and I don't want to admit this to you, but I'm going to force you to unearth some things, so here it goes. I let down at home. I let down. And sometimes I let down too much. And what that means is in me letting down, I say things to my family that I would never say to you. I have a quicker temper in my family than I would have for you. I have higher expectations for my children than I have for you. And sometimes in the field's home where I am the most safe, I'm also the most loose. And I don't like that about me. But I say all that to say I know how very difficult it is to love at home. Now, some of you are looking at me like I'm a monster. And what I want to do is now turn it to you. Because I actually know you can relate to me. That some of you here, you actually treat your employees better than you treat your family. You're kinder to your actual neighbors and strangers than oftentimes the way that you talk to your children. So you can't pretend at home. You can pretend out in the the world, in the marketplace, but you can't pretend at home. And let's admit it, life at home is not easy. Being married is not easy. If it was easy, there wouldn't be an over 50% divorce rate. Which many people that you're sitting next to are struggling in their marriage right now. I get to read the prayer requests that come in every week. And I know that many of you are praying for your marriage because you're struggling, because life at home is not easy. Some of you that are parents, you are struggling because your kid who used to be all smiles is now of the age where she's all eye rolls. And you used to be the smartest parent in the world, and now you're the dumbest human ever to live. And you are struggling with this whole parenting thing. And those of you who are kids at home, your parents, you can't believe how mean they are, and they don't get you. And you can't believe what jerks they are because they're not getting you a, a smartphone in the sixth grade. And they're saying no to a flat screen in your bedroom and they're not promising a Beamer on your 16th birthday like all your other. You're the only one that doesn't have a Beamer. Not only are your parents mean, but what about dumb brothers and sisters who are always touching you, okay, and your stuff? Good touching me, okay? Now, how am I supposed to love my neighbors out there if I can't even love my neighbors in my own home. Now, if I could help you just a little bit, just one step toward being more loving in your home, how many feel like you'd be interested in that? Let me see your hands. If I could help you just in a little bit. Okay, great. Because that's what we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to go after. To find some help, what I'd like to do is I'd like for you to turn to 1 John chapter 3. And 1 John chapter 3, it's in the very, very back of your book. It's not the Gospel of John, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the back of your Bible right before Revelation, or it's up on the screen or uh, in your notes. In the book of 1 John, let me give you a little bit of context to 1 John. Uh, The context is this. There is three primary messages that are happening in 1 John. The primary messages are love, truth, and obedience. And it's like I would identify like a spiral staircase. Love, truth, obedience. Just keeps going up. Love, truth, obedience. And it's not repeating for the sake of repetition, but giving different perspectives of what love, truth, and obedience look like. Now, at the same time as you got the spiral staircase, you have these, these parallel tracks that are different and They're actually competing with one another. John describes what might be called the way of Jesus. And there is a certain way for those of us who have redirected the course of our life to follow Jesus. There's this way over here. He calls it the way of Jesus. Then he also describes the way of the world. And he actually even calls these people the children of the devil. Okay, There's the way of the world over here, and then there is the way of Jesus, and there's this strong idea that those of us who go in the way of Jesus, that we actually should sin less. Not be sinless, okay, that's not gonna happen, but we would actually sin less. That we would have a, a different look, we would have a different identity, we would have different desires, we would have different feelings. Why? Because those of us over here, Jesus has made us righteous. Righteous, meaning right with God. That we are righteous. We don't have to work towards righteousness. We don't have to earn righteousness. We are made righteous. And John is saying, hey, just reflect it. Okay, just reflect it. Now that's the big backdrop. There's 105 verses in in the book of 1 John. We're going to take a look at eight of them, starting at verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, friends... I know that was a lot to read. You've got bookend statements. In in verse 11, it says, uh, We should love one another. And verse 18, Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, in this you begin to see a picture of the old nature, the way of the world, and the new nature, the way of Jesus. The old nature over here, the way of the world, is described with murder and death and indifference. It's kind of this this uniform that one wears in the ways of of the the old. And what he's saying is, hey, this message isn't new. You've heard it from the beginning all the way back to Cain. Now, talk about crazy who didn't love one another. Cain, talk about a messy family. Adam and Eve, right, they have children, Cain and Abel. First family, a brother kills a brother. We're off to a great start in humanity, okay? And, and he's saying, hey, from the very beginning, you know, if you want to write it down off to the side of your notes, Genesis 4, read it on your own. Verse 4, 1, he's born. Verse, verse 8, he's killed his brother, Okay. So uh, talk about a a messy family. Now, when we talk about murder being a ways of the old, some of you are just sitting there like this. I know it. Okay, Doug, move on. I mean, I'm not going to murder my family. Oh, really? (laughs) Because what I'd like to do is not let you think that this doesn't apply to you. What I want to do is I want to go from Cain and Abel in the Old Testament. Let's fast forward a couple thousand years to what Jesus says about murder. Watch this, up on the screen. Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that our ancestors were told, again, the old way, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, so now Jesus is coming saying there's a new way, some new rules, some new life, some new spirit, a new nature. Here it is. But I say... If you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. If you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. What's Jesus going after? He's going after our heart. It's not so much the word that is used as much it is the heart that is giving birth to the words that come out. So we could sit back arrogantly and go, hey, look, I'm not of the old. I don't murder. I don't use guns or swords. Okay. What about words? What about the words that come out of your mouth that pierce hearts and scar souls? Because that's what Jesus is concerned about. Look up on the screen. Proverbs 12, 18 says it like this. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. See, we can say we don't murder, but the words that we use in anger intended to wound, they do. They murder identities. They murder personalities. They murder experiences. When we craft words that we know are going to go to those closest in our family that we wouldn't even use to a stranger or even an enemy that we say to those we're married with or those are our kids or to our parents we're committing murder with our words okay? it's not it's not too unlike us he also says the ways of the old is described by hatred if you look at verse 15 you see that hate is a moral equivalent of murder anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Hate, hate is the clothing of the world Hate is not supposed to fit comfortably on those of us who follow Jesus. Again, let's return to what Jesus said. Matthew 5, verse 43, up on the screen. You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Acting as a child of God. See, everyone here is a creation of God. Everyone's a creation of God. Not everyone's a child of God. Those of us who have put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross and have been forgiven of our old nature and we've been set on a new course, we are children of God. And what Jesus is saying is hate is not part of the makeup of a child of God. Okay? Hey, you, you, you're, not, you're not to live out in hate. You're to live out in, in love. This week I was um, sitting at a stoplight and I just looked at my, my Facebook feed and um, I saw something interesting. I brought a picture of it. I t- took a screen capture of it. This is um, a post that I did this week. Last day at home for my beauty queen off to college in the start of my broken heart. Some pictures of my daughter when she was little and then there is an 18-year-old. And then notice what it says at the bottom. You are acting as Doug Fields. Now that, that's interesting. You're acting as Doug Fields as opposed to who else would I be acting as? You're acting as Doug Fields. And then I began to think, that's my problem. I act as Doug Fields too much. And that's what gets me in trouble. When I act as Doug Fields, that's when I murder with my words. When I act as Doug Fields, that's when hate becomes so natural to me. I'm not to act as Doug Fields. As a child of God, I'm to act as this, Christ in Doug. That's what's happened. Christ in Doug. That's who I am. I need to be acting as Jesus in me. Does this make sense? Okay. That that's how I'm to live out my life. Christ in Doug. That's who I am. I have been made righteous. So have you. Those of you that put your faith in Jesus. Okay? Christ in whoever you are. Christ in Doug. I like that. Christ in Doug. I want my Facebook to say, you are acting as Christ in Doug. I would like somebody to look at my life and go, you are acting as Christ in Doug. I'm thinking I might even sign off my emails that way. Instead of Doug, Christ in Doug. Okay. It's a little weird. I probably won't, but I would know, like that. See, the only way that my natural inclination, which is to hate and to wound, can be changed into anything loving is Christ in Doug doing what Jesus does best and transforming me into his likeness as I follow him, as I give him my life, as I become like him, That Christ and Doug changes that hatred. Now, there's a third one that you see in verse 17, and that's indifference. Indifference is ignoring the needs of others. Um, It's not as strong as murder and hate, but it's definitely not a sign of love indifference is lacking compassion where it said you have material resources but you see somebody in need and you have no pity on them that's indifference indifference shows up in our family when we see people in our family in need and we don't respond to them that's that's the clothing of the old way that's what the old way is to look like not to look like those of us who have been given this new life in this in this new birth now Obviously, this old nature of murder and hate and indifference, this is not our goal, right? It's not our goal. So why even spend time on this, Doug? I mean, if this isn't our goal, why look at it? Because I think a lot of us, when we look at the Bible and we see things that describe the ways of the world, we quickly write it off and say, that's not me. And I'm here to tell you, that's more me than I want it to be. That's more me than I want it to be, especially in my home. But let's get to the good news. Flip your notes over. Let's get to the good news. Because of Jesus, we have good news. There's a new nature at play. I put in your notes that new nature of play is what? Say it with me. Love, okay? Love is the new nature that's in play. It's the new clothing that we're to wear. Love is God's will for us because God is love. For those of you who have ever wondered, what is God's will for me? Love, <laughs> that's God's will, love, because God is love. That's how you know who a follower of Jesus is, not by the size of their Bible. Have you seen my new thick study Bible? Okay. No, that's not, or your Christian car where you have your bumper stickers or your, your fish eating the evolution man, uh, you know, or uh, whatever, you know, you're voting Republican over Democrat. That's, that is not what makes someone a follower of Jesus. It's, it's love. And that love needs to be expressed in our neighbors that are closest to us. Okay? It's a new set of clothes. You can see in your notes There's some what we see in this, this text. There are some specifics of what this love looks like. Verse 16, it, we see that it's sacrificial love. For those of us that want to follow Jesus, if you want to know if you are growing spiritually, people ask that all the time. How do I know if I'm growing spiritually? Spiritual maturity says that I take on the character of Jesus. So if your love is sacrificial, you're growing in spiritual maturity. Look at verse 16 again. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we have to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's called sacrificial love. Jesus modeled it, that He laid down His life so you and I could be delivered from over here, the way of the world, that we could be given a new birth into the ways of Jesus. That was sacrificial love. Now, when at home, when I am inconvenienced and I have the opportunity to sacrifice, I have the opportunity to express that love. And there is no better place for you to learn to be a sacrificial lover than at home. Every day, every single day of your life, There are going to be opportunities for you to sacrificially love at home, to sacrificially love your parents, your children, your spouse. This week, I live in a two story house. This week, I'm going upstairs. Kathy's already said, you know, I'm going upstairs, and I said, I'll I'll be right up. I walk by the kitchen to turn off the lights, and there I see her cell phone. Now, I know that she forgot her cell phone because she uses her cell phone alarm to wake up in the morning. So I see her cell phone, and all of a sudden, I have this, this kind of dilemma. Do I take her cell phone upstairs and sacrificially love her, or do I leave her cell phone down there so that she'll have to go get it, and that will help her be less forgetful? Okay? Now, why did I even pause in that moment right there? Okay? Yeah, some of you are saying, seriously, like I'm a total pig. <laughs> Okay, I heard I know somewhere I'm going to find you after the service. That way, point her out so I know it's not you. Okay? Okay, now I'm I'm exaggerating a little. It wasn't like I was like, "There's your phone. What will I do? Will I take it upstairs or will I leave it there?" There was part of me that thought leave it there because it serves her right. I mean, she's just forgetful of different things. Okay? But I grabbed it, and I took it upstairs, and I put it on her side of her bed. I didn't take it upstairs and say, Here's my sacrificial act of love. (laughs) Because Jesus died on the cross, I bring you your phone. (laughs) Now, my point is, all the time, there are opportunities for us to sacrificially love that puts us a little bit out of our way, that when those doors get kicked open, and we walk through them, our love grows. Okay, Our love grows. Now, why was that even a pause for me? And apparently not for you. Uh, but here's why it was a pause for me. Because I am so selfish. To my nature, I am selfish. I'm, I'm all CIF selfish. Varsity, all state, I am selfish. Guess what? You're on my team. You're on my team. You're there with me. You can look smug, but you're you're right there with me. It is so much easier to be selfish than it is to sacrifice. So when I talk about sacrificial love, what does that look like? Let me give you a few examples. Sacrificial love says that I sacrifice my pride. And I go apologize to the one in my family that I've just hurt. Sacrificial love says, I sacrifice my time, what I really want to do on my own. And I give that time to my spouse or my child or whatever because I know they need it in that moment. I sacrifice my comfort. And I get up from the couch myself instead of yelling at my eight-year-old to go make me a bowl of ice cream because I control his allowance, okay? You want to be more like Jesus? You want to live more deeply? You want to deepen your marriage? You want to inspire and encourage your children? Sacrificially, love. And what John is saying, don't just talk about love. Show it. Reveal it. Put it on display. That's where in verse 18, it's, it's active. It needs to be on, on display. And let me give you, uh, be, I want to be a little bit more specific with you. Let me tell you what I'm talking about when I say on display. I think homes, and I do a lot of study with marriage and parenting and family and written a bunch of books in, in that area. I don't, I don't think homes intend to start off unloving. Marriages don't intend to, you know. I married a lot of people. Nobody's ever said, you know, I just, I'm hoping to gut it out for a few years and walk away with the couch. You know, no, they're not doing that. You don't in, you intend for that marriage to be loving. When you have children, you intend to love them. You, but what, here's what happens families begin to, keyword, drift. They begin to drift into their love, from their love. And they developed what I would call a family script. And every family here has a script of how you begin to relate and interact with one another. And part of the words that you use is part of your script. It's called a default script. So, for example, default means that if you were to go on my computer and hit print, I have three printers hooked up to it. It can print to any one of those, but the default, it always goes to the main one first unless I change the default. Now, I can change the default and print to other printers, but my default prints to this one. Some of you have family scripts that have drifted, and now you're in default mode in how you relate to one another. Your marriage has a script. Your parenting has a script. Those of you who are children, you have learned a script of how you relate to your parents and your brothers and sisters, the things you can get away with in your home that you can never get away with elsewhere. And we begin to live by this script with one another. And let me, I don't know what your script is. I actually think this would be a very good question for you to talk about as a family is this. What is our script? I mean, what is it that identifies our family? But let me tell you what I see living in this county for South Orange County for about 30 years. I see, maybe this has moved into your script. I see busyness is rampant in people's script. And you might say, well, how is busyness unloving? (laughs) Busyness just robs love. You don't have time to love when you're so busy. That's what busy people don't have. They don't have time. And so what happens is they put time, they put the Band-Aids on the things that require the Band-Aids while the family and the parenting and the marriage falls apart. Some of your marriages are so busy you don't date one another anymore. You don't pursue one another anymore. Some of you have taken on, bit off too much mortgage and toys and things that you've bought that you've got to work so much that you don't have any family time. Busyness is a big, big deal. There's contributing factors to busyness that play in. I just wrote a book called Should I Smash My Kid's Cell Phone? Okay? It's, it's out in our massive bookstore in the lobby. Uh, it, it's actually a workbook because I think this is one of the contributing factors to lack of love. Now, I am not asking anybody to go Amish and get rid of all electricity. But here's my concern. When we spend so much time on this, it busynesses with us with Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and texting and email. 90% of all texts are answered within 30 seconds, which means most people are always on. I'm always available to everybody else out there. Some of you are playing games on this instead of going out on dates. Some of you are taking this to the dinner table and interacting with one another instead of interacting with, uh, interacting with other people instead of interacting with one another. Is I, I feel like we need to figure out how to declare war on this. Not that we don't use it, but this contributes to families. And this is messing with your script. Now, I have a little hobby. It's a dumb hobby, but I'm kind of a dumb person. I like to take pictures of people out in public who are with other people who were on their phones. <laughs> now, when I went to send the pictures, most of my pictures are in Orange County, and I thought, oh, gosh, what if one of them, they go to our church? And so I, show, I had to go into my vacation mode pictures, and so now you're going to see you're all safe, okay? You're all safe. But this is, this is what I'm talking about here. This robs one another of love. <laughs> yeah. That was Seattle. I don't remember where that was, but... Now, I don't ask him to pose. I'm kind of covert, kind of like a spy. (laughs) This is one of my favorite. Look at this lady. She's got her eyes on the phone at the table, and the husband's got this look like, how many times I'm going to throw that phone, I'm going to smash that phone. Friends, I think this is just a part. It's not the part. Some of you are like, he's anti-technology. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm just anti-this abusing families. And some of you have allowed it into your script and it's impacting your family. There's another part of this script that I see a lot in South Orange County in parenting and that's yelling. I think there's a lot of us in here who are yellers. Um, let me try to make it as clear as I can. If you're a parent, yelling doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. There is no social research ever that points to it working to create a healthy family environment it can get short-term results but the long-term pain is 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 very rough on a family yelling doesn't work it's damaging and when you lose your temper those closest to you lose respect it's not love on display there's a third in your notes that is says genuine sincere where he says your love must be genuine and must be filled with truth that means sincere and I think one of the big things in scripts, family scripts, and I heard about it standing by the door, is um, what I would call passive-aggressive games. Many families have this script where they become passive-aggressive with one another. And at passive-aggressive, I was first introduced to this in my family. Uh, My mom was very passive-aggressive. Everybody in the world thought she was the greatest. Oh, your mom is so nice. But when she was angry at me, she would just go quiet. That's passive She would not talk to me, sometimes for days. I'd be like, Mom, what's wrong? Nothing. Okay, that's passive. But her aggressive nature was to wound me. So when you hear people say, that's passive aggressive, that's what that means. You go passive, so you withhold something. Women do this a lot in marriages. They withhold from their husband. They go passive. Okay? But they're really aggressive, wanting him to change. Men, you do the same thing. Men, isolate we ice, we ice our wives out. We go cold. Okay? We isolate. We go passive in hope that our aggressive nature will cause them to change. We do this with our kids. Our kids do this with us. It is just we have drifted into this script where that is not sincere love. That's not, passive aggressive is not genuine or sincere or truth-telling. It's just games to get at somebody else. Now, we can fake love out out there. You can't fake love in your home. Your love must be sincere. And for some of you, you may be saying, okay, Doug, I I agree with you. I agree with you, but but how? How do I change the script? How do I move out of, change the default into another default mode? I'm going to tell you. I have some questions that I write down, I've got them in my journal, and, and I, I go through this list of questions before I speak, and it's just questions to myself. But one of the questions is, am I giving people hope? Okay? Here's the hope part of this message. The way you change your script is to change your inner world. Okay? Your script will not change until your inner world changes. You don't have the power to change your inner world on your own, so that's why we rely on the power of Jesus. Jesus defeated darkness. He defeated death, Romans 6 through 8. He defeated evil so that we might love. In your notes, this is the sermon in a message right here. When Jesus makes his home in my life, my home life will be different. When Jesus makes his home in my life, my home life will be different. Your marriage will be different. Your parenting will be different. Your relationship with your brothers and sisters will be different. When people say, what can I do for my marriage? Here's the answer. Fall deeper in love with Jesus. You want to be a good parent? The best gift you can give your parent, the best gift you can give your kids is a mom who loves Jesus. As a dad who loves Jesus. When Jesus makes his home, In my life, my home life will be different. So yesterday I'm at lunch and we're waiting for my son and his girlfriend to show up. And it's just Kathy and I. And Kathy and I are talking about this message. And I wish I didn't have to give credit to her, but she's here this service. Because I would want you to think this is my insight Um, It it wasn't because she said something and it was that aha moment for me. It's what I just went. That's it. That's it. Her words. Dear, I just want to let you know I told last service they were your words as well, which I didn't have to because you weren't here. Uh, But but here's what she said. Typically, we love people with the expectation that those people will change. I'm just going to love my spouse. I'm going to keep loving my spouse. I'm going to keep loving my kids. They're going to change one of these. I'm going to love them into change. I'm going to love them into kindness. And then we say, you know, I've, I've done everything and he hasn't changed. And Kathy said, the real key that I'm finding as I continue to follow Jesus is the more I follow and love Jesus, the more I change. And then it changes the way I see other people. That's profound, friends. It doesn't mean you stop loving other people. It just means that when Jesus makes his life in your uh, home, in your life, your home life changes. And here's the good news. More hope. It's a little bit further in 1 John. It's not in your notes, but it's up on the screen. Those of you who have your Bible, just look at verse 23. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us as one who keeps God's command, lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. My life can change because Jesus lives in me. I don't have to be defined by murder or hatred or indifference. I can be defined by authentic and genuine and truthful love because Jesus lives in me. He makes his home in me. And when he makes his home in me, it has the power to change me. And that same is true for you. And I want to ask you to do something real courageous. I gave you some space. Maybe you don't do it now, but in your notes, you do it later this week or later today. Today, I will start. What are you going to start that is going to change this script over here? Maybe it's you need to apologize. You need to pull one of your kids aside and apologize for yelling. Apologize for being passive aggressive to, to a spouse. Maybe in your marriage, you need to say, you know what, I've focused too much on career and busyness and paying for this house. And I have been pursuing you like I need to. And I apologize for that. Maybe as a child, it's time for you to step up okay, and say something to your parents. Like, I apologize for the way that I've been treating you or acting. That is love on display. See, we can go to church and go to Bible studies and we can talk about love all the time. But until it's on display, it means nothing. I have a friend who buried another friend. And he said, Doug, when I went to clean out his house, he had all these books on theology. He had books that I wanted. There was commentaries and word study books. And this guy had Bibles all over the place. But at his funeral, there was nobody there. Nobody there. He lived in this this county for seven years. He said he knew everything about God. He knew all about God's love, but he didn't express it through his life. The Bible says is that if you have all this knowledge, but you don't love, you're just a noisemaker. You're a clanging cymbal. You're a gong that's not what you and I are called to. And there's great hope in this community. And I'm telling you, for those of you that are along for the ride and you call this home, <clears throat> this community is going to change. That Jeff and I were talking this week and we just began to dream. What if this place was known for its marriages? I mean, what are those of you that have good marriages and you began to mentor others and this became a safe place to talk and, and discuss it? You got a lead pastor who talked about him and his wife going to marriage counseling. This is Wow, who does that? To say, this is going to be a community where marriages are healthy and strong. We're going to get parents some help. So they're not demeaning and and murdering kids with their words. What if the kids in this church grew up not for religious behavior and they acted like good little Christians and then they graduate from high school and they go party their brains out. No, they grow up because they actually get to know Jesus and they fall in love with Jesus. And it's not mom and dad's faith, it's their faith. That's what this community is becoming. And it is going to be a great thing to be a part of it. Friends, you were made to love. You were saved by love. You were filled with love. Now when we go home, let's love our neighbors. Not on your own power, but on the power of Jesus who lives in us. Okay? Let's pray together. What do you need to start? Counseling, date night, apologizing, not taking the phone into the restaurant, whatever it is, what in your script needs to change? And when Jesus makes his home in your life, your home life's going to be different. Jesus, may we be different because we were here today. Give us the power that we don't have on our own to wear the clothes of a new birth, a new being, a new life. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.